And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, February the 22nd, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on February 22nd, 1980, they called it the miracle on ice. I don't know if it was actually a miracle, but that's what they called it. It was a big deal. That took place in Lake Placid, New York. The United States Olympic hockey team upset the Soviets. Back in the 1980s, the United States and Soviets were at war, a cold war, as you may recall. So to beat their hockey team was a big deal. Yeah, the United States Olympic hockey team upset the Soviets. They were said to win by all the experts, but we won 4-3. to three. They made a movie about it. In fact, our U.S. team went on to win the gold medal that year. Today in 1732, the first president of the United States, George Washington, he was born in Westmoreland County in the Virginia colony. Today in 1889, President Grover Cleveland, he signed an enabling act. It paved the way for the Dakotas, Montana, and Washington to become states. Today in 1959, the inaugural Daytona 500 car race was held. Today in 1997, scientists in Scotland, they announced they had succeeded in cloning an adult mammal. They had produced life itself. They had become God. They produced a lamb named Dolly. Dolly, however, didn't work out all that well. She was put down after a very short life. She had premature aging, all kinds of disease. Didn't work out too well. It never works out when you're trying to play God. Remember that story that was written back a long time ago, a couple hundred years ago, I think, in Mary Shelley's classic story about Frankenstein, the notorious creature, been hiding from human view in it in her story when he encounters a suitcase in the woods filled with books and clothing. The monster reads Milton's Paradise Lost and can't help but compare himself to both Adam and the fallen angel. He recounts his discovery to his maker, the distraught Dr. Victor Frankenstein. What he said to him in Mary Shelley's classic novel, he said, quote, A cursed creator, why did you form a monster so hideous that even you turned from me in disgust? God, in pity, made man beautiful and alluring after his own image, but my form is a filthy type of yours more horrid, even from the very resemblance. Now, years later, that was updated, (laughs) progressively updated in the 1931 film, but that in the original, original novel by Shelley, that's what the author wrote, and that is correct. When we try to play God, we create things that do not bear the image of God. We're still trying to do that, not necessarily with sheep or a Frankenstein, but we create a Frankenstein of sorts sometimes when we try to play God. That's the world we live in. That's the fallen, broken, sinful world we live in. Today in 2017, the Trump administration reversed federal guidelines that said transgender students should be allowed to use public bathrooms and locker rooms matching their chosen gender identity. That also permitted them to change from time to time as they identified male, then they perhaps would identify female, and they could change that, and it was up to their discretion 
what bathroom they walked into in your child's school and elsewhere. Today in 2019, the producers of the Fox TV show Empire, you'll remember this, they announced that actor Jussie Smollett's character would be removed from the final two episodes of the season after he'd been arrested on charges that he staged a racist, anti-gay attack on himself. And the guys who did it, he paid them to do it, to come and beat up on him so he could be the victim. They said, yeah, he did, and there was evidence to that effect. But it was interesting to me how the media covered that. They just made it go away, because that isn't the story the media wants to tell. They want to tell the story the way this guy made it up. Ten years ago today, the City Council of Charlotte, North Carolina, they voted 7-4 to four to pass a new law allowing <clears throat> transgender people to choose public bathrooms that correspond to their gender identity. We live in such a screwed-up world. I saw, I've seen polls. I've seen a number of them. Most people in America today are stressed, distressed, very much so. Do you remember that song? In fact, I saw a poll just recently that said 85%. I don't know. That seemed awfully high to me, but 85% of people in this one poll, and I've seen a number of them lately, but 85% in this one poll said that they live under stress. They are feeling distressed. Remember that old song we used to sing in church a long time ago? Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for myrrh or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? And then the chorus. We'd always sing that chorus. We sang it in the church that Marjorie and I grew up in a lot. And we'd sing the chorus. The chorus says, the refrain, Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. Another verse said, Does Jesus care when my way is dark, when a nameless dread, with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long? And the fourth verse says, Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me and my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks? Is it aught to him? Does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. The people of the Old Testament, they felt the same stress and distress that we feel today. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 7 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Psalm 18, verse 6 in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple. My cry came before him, even unto his ears. Nehemiah, he spoke to distress as well. The builder, 
He said, Then I said to them, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, Then I said unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. In other words, what do we do when we're so distressed? First of all, we know that Jesus cares. God knows. He hears and sees our distress. And then, as Nehemiah said, okay, now we're in distress. Let's progress and build. And in our case, we would not be building the walls of Jerusalem, but we would be building the kingdom of God by sharing God's love to the people with whom we have contact and influence. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares because his word tells us that he cares. And such is the world we live in today. If you don't remember anything else I have to say to you today, and I have a lot to say, remember, God loves you. And yes, he cares. And he has a plan. And he's right on time. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of that plan. And his plan is for good, not for evil. Well, former Vice President Mike Pence, he declined. He declined an invitation to the Conservative Political Action Conference. It'll be held this coming weekend in Florida. It is every year. It's a sellout every year. It's a big deal for conservatives. It's not Christian, but many of the people that participate are Christians. It's for conservatives. It's the largest conservative political action uh, organization in the country. But a source that's close to Pence, someone very close to him, said that... uh, not to read too much into this, that he didn't decline to, to speak there for any reason other than that he's very busy putting some things together in his own personal life, like accepting the senior positions at the Heritage Foundation and Young America's Foundation. But they said expect Pence to become very, very visible and very, very outspoken in the coming months ahead. However, President Trump accepted the invitation. He'll be speaking there this weekend. They say it will probably be chaotic, probably 2,000 people, I think, they can seat in the auditorium there. Maybe it's 3,000, 2 or 3,000, I I think. They said there will probably be tens of thousands of people wanting to come. That's probably true. He'll be speaking. Somebody asked Laura Trump, his daughter-in-law, the one that's married to Eric Trump. They asked her this weekend, they said, do you think your father-in-law... Donald Trump, do you think he'll run for president again in 2024? She said he's probably interested. She said he's probably interested in running. She said what he's told us is to stay tuned because it's not over for him. Well, I can assure you that the liberal left, the far left, will stay tuned because they just can't stop with this guy. I've never seen the kind of hate that's displayed in America by the left, by Democrats, by Hollywood, by everybody on the left. It's not just dislike, like, you know, I don't like that guy very much. I don't care for him. Oh, no, it's not like that. It's hatred in its most raw and vicious form. I'm not 
defending Trump. I'm just pointing out. I didn't, I mean, and I pay attention to this stuff, but I didn't know how deeply some of these people hate that man. I've not seen this in my lifetime, and I'm over 40. I've seen a lot in my lifetime. I've observed politics. I've never run for office. I've been in the ministry my entire adult life, but I've certainly spoken to the issues from the pulpit, on television, radio, throughout my whole life. I've never seen anything like this. I've seen people dislike others in politics, in the church. I've never seen hatred sink to this level, this depth. There's now a move, I've read, that a move to stop or to to forbid any monument ever being established in the United States that bears the name of Donald Trump, whether it's a statue or a plaque or a, just a, you know, like a monument. I, I mean, when this guy dies, they may try to strip him of having a, a marker in the cemetery. I've never seen anything like this. That's what hatred truly looks like in our country today. They hate him. But they better watch out because I don't think he's done yet. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if it's wise for him to run for president again in 2024 or whether it would be wiser, more prudent for him to get behind someone of his choosing and support them, you know, all the way to the goal line. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But one thing is sure. God is in control. But we do live in distressing times. Candidate Joe Biden, he promised the far left that he would, if they would elect him as president to the presidency, he would pass the so-called Equality Act. When he said that, I thought, hmm, boy, that's going to be a pretty good push for Biden. I didn't know then that they would gain control of the Senate as well. I thought probably they would not. I didn't know Georgia would do what they did. I was a little surprised. I know it's been turning blue, Georgia, for the last number of years, but boy, I didn't expect them to elect those two characters they did to the Senate. You remember that. We talked about it on this program. But Joe Biden not only promised the left, the far left, the extreme far left, the crazy left, he not only promised them to enact this equality, so-called Equality Act, he promised to do it in his first hundred days. Now, President Joe Biden, he often struggles trying to remember things. He kind of gets confused sometimes. He calls, in fact, he's called Kamala Harris president. (laughs) I mean, he gets confused, but boy, he's not confused about this, and he didn't forget. He's not forgotten his promise at all. He's moving forward. The LGBTQ community is dancing and tripping up and down and beside themselves, he wants to force this deceptive, conscious, crushing, Orwellian legislation on America. They tried once before. Obama tried, didn't work, almost did, but not quite. It died in the Senate. Three senators, including Democrat Jeff Merkley of Oregon, they've introduced the bill to the Senate. Representative David Ciceline, he's from Rhode Island, Democrat, of course, he's introduced it to the House where he had, it has previously passed, so it's expected to pass the House of Representatives because the Democrats have a, a slimmer, but still a majority. The legislation doesn't create equality, though, and that's why I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it today. It strikes at the very heart of our culture. It turns equality 
on its head. It's very deceptively titled. The bill was reintroduced last Thursday in the House, and they're going to be reintroducing it this week in the Senate. Democrat Senators Merkley, Cory Booker, Tammy Baldwin, she's a lesbian from Wisconsin, they announced the introduction of the bill into the Senate this week. Democrat Cicilline, uh, as I said, introduced it to the House last week. Merkley said nationally it was covered by most of the news sources. He said, none of us should have to keep our families hidden or pretend. He, I don't think he's gay. He used to be married to a woman. I don't know what his deal. I think he's divorced now or something. But anyway, he's saying, none of us should have to keep our families hidden or pretend to be someone we're not to do those things, claiming in 29 states, he says, Americans can still be evicted, be thrown out of a restaurant, or be denied a loan because of who they are or whom they love. We all love the vision of America as a land of freedom, of equality, but are we willing to take the steps to make that vision closer to reality? Well, <laughs> Cory Booker, he says, this legislation signifies the best of who we are as Americans. But, he said, the fact that we even need this legislation reflects the worst of who we are. Well, that's a clever little statement, but it's, it's a lie. And it's not. It's not needed. Because we already have laws, multiple laws on the books that deal with every issue that they're raising to support and move this crazy Orwellian, and yes it is, an attack on Christian values forward. Booker says if we're going to celebrate ideals of liberty and freedom, we must have comprehensive and nationwide protections of LGBTQ plus Americans. Well, we do. But Booker says the Equality Act does not provide protections, nor does it validate America as the land of the free. It essentially turns equality on its head, and it forces a chosen lifestyle, a perversion of freedom-loving, God-fearing people across the country. It's an attack on Christianity. It's not necessarily to put new laws in place, because they're in place. Kristen Wagner, general, account, general counsel, for the uh, First Amendment law firm. She's from Seattle. I know her personally. Many of you do. She's with the Alliance Defending Freedom, a friend to many. She said on Thursday last week, she put out a press release on this. She's argued a number of cases recently before the Supreme Court on behalf of these kinds of things. She said on Thursday, she said, this proposed legis legislation punishes and marginalizes people who hold decent and honorable beliefs about marriage and Dare to believe the scientific evidence regarding the physical differences between men and women. The Equality Act would deny female athletes fair competition in sports, ignore women's unique health needs, and force vulnerable girls to share intimate spaces with men who identify as women. This is a crazy thing. That's me talking, not her. She said, quote, her, many in our nation respectfully disagree on important issues like marriage and human sexualities. But she said, unfortunately... The Equality Act criminalizes these very beliefs held by major faith groups since the dawn of time and instead demands absolute uniformity of thought. She said the act dares to treat reasonable people as hostile to the state and unfit to participate in the marketplace. That's exactly what it does. Ryan T. Anderson has followed these things. He's been with the Heritage Foundation for a long time. He's also president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He called the deceptive legislation, he said it's Orwellian. He came out on Friday. He said it's Orwellian. 
He said it isn't drafted as a shield to protect vulnerable minorities from unjust discrimination. He said it's a sword meant to persecute those who do not embrace this new sexual and gender ideologies. It's also an all-out attack on women. Anderson said it, quote, it, it, it sacrifices the equality, safety, privacy of women while privileging men who identify as women. For example, if if this bill becomes law, and I've been following it since the first time they tried to push this thing through, they didn't have Biden and they didn't have a majority in both the House and the Senate, and they do have that majority in the Senate now with the Vice President Kamala Harris's vote. But if this bill becomes law, men will have the right to spend the night in a battered woman's shelter, disrobe in women's locker rooms, and compete on women's sports teams, and that's already taking place. And this will start in kindergarten through 12th grade and into college in all public government-run schools. This so-called Equality Act will also impact religious institutions. It'll cause them to possibly face federal sanction for operating according to basic biology. They're always talking about, we're going to follow the science. Joe Biden stumbled into the Oval Office, and the first thing he said, we're going to follow the science, as if the Republicans, the conservatives, don't like science. And Donald Trump didn't know that science existed. And here these guys are, once again, and they do it time after time after time, they set their beliefs in place, then they twist science and scripture to support their beliefs, and that's exactly what they're doing with this. Anderson says, under this act, even Pope Francis... I don't know, Ryan must be a Catholic, I don't know. But anyway, he's a very conservative guy and smart. Anyway, he says, under the act, Pope Francis would be treated as the legal equivalent of a Jim Crow segregationalist. I'm not a Catholic, so I don't get all that, but that's interesting. He says, medical doctors, secular, religious, whose expert conclusion is the sex reassignment procedures are misguided, would now run afoul of our civil rights laws. And any refusal to support or provide abortions would now be treated as pregnancy discrimination. And no one, not even the act's sponsors, he says, can tell us what would be required under the act to avoid committing discrimination in the case of a non-binary gender identities. Could this possibly become law in the United States of America, one nation under God? Yeah, it could. They've tried it before. They failed, as I said, but things have changed. Last time around with this bill, the House approved it, sent over to the Senate. The Senate never brought it up for a vote. Apparently, they didn't think it would pass. I don't know. It'll probably pass the House again. You'll hear about it this week. But in the Senate, the Democrats and the Republicans have an equal number of seats. Vice President Harris, as I said, is now the tie-breaking vote if needed. In most of these cases, this kind of legislation requires a 60-vote majority in the Senate. But this is not deterring the far left, the Democrats. There's talk of Democrats invoking this so-called nuclear option just to get this through, which would then enable legislation to pass the Senate with a simple majority, and they have that if they all stick together, which would give the Democrats a one-vote majority with Harris's vote. You know, history proves that powerful, spirit-anointed preaching of God's Word transforms the soul. Millions have been saved by the Billy Grahams, the George Whitfields, 
all of these people that we know and millions that we don't know over the centuries. They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. They preached the word of God. They haven't tried to fit in, to identify with, to adapt to the culture. They have spoken the word of God fearlessly with the anointing of God's spirit upon them. And they have transformed the culture because the gospel transforms lives. A societal transformation was seen in America, the first Great Awakening and the second Great Awakening. The responsibility for this, Bill, as I look at this, and it is the most dreadful thing of all the dreadful things that I've seen come out of Washington, D.C. But it can be laid first, and I think it should be, laid first at the feet of the Christian church in America, specifically. It should be laid in front of the pulpit in America. And I know many pastors regularly stand in their pulpits and they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ fearlessly. They're not afraid of the repercussions. They're not afraid of the people in the church who will say, well, you better you know, you better calm down there. You're going to offend people and our church won't grow and people won't get saved. And all. That's nonsense. Churches grow when you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and you put the light into the darkness. Even old Gary, even I saw that. Our church grew exponentially from a couple of hundred to several thousand. It works. And I'm not all that talented. It's the power of God changing lives. And when you speak to the issues, not as a doctrine, but as you acknowledge the issues in the culture and speak the gospel to those issues, it changes a culture. The responsibility for this bill, even existing, can be laid at our feet, we Christians. And I'm not critical of anyone in particular, just all of us in general. Why can't we stand up and tell the truth to a world that is desperately in need, in stress and distress? The great Presbyterian pastor, evangelist Charles Finney, he once said, I don't preach political sermons. <laughs> and then he proceeded and said this from the pulpit. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours in a great degree. If there is decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in the halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. He called Christians and Christian leaders to lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility to respect in respect to the morals of this nation. It's time to wake up. I know we're living in a time of distress. But in our time of distress, let's, let's heed Nehemiah's call and let us build, even in our distress. Let us begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a culture that needs desperately to see the light and hear the truth. Thank you for your support. We need it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Pray about what God would have you to do to help us. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'll see you tomorrow.